Hey everybody, I'm Nick Davis. Welcome to Simply Not Easy, the podcast about simple action steps to improve the journey of your life as I work to improve the journey of my own. Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to another great episode of Simply Not Easy. Hope you're all having a great day out there today. So, we're back here. Muscle Monday, talking about a muscle that is not commonly spoken about too much. Not commonly spoken about too much. And that muscle is the popliteus. And its name is going to kind of give away its location a little bit for those of you who are familiar with your Latin or Greek or even just anatomy in general. So popliteus and uh, the popliteal area or region is the area behind, it's the knee specifically the posterior aspect of the knee. So like the kind of you've got your kneecap on top anteriorly, then posteriorly you've got your popliteal fossa with tons of tons of structures in there, a lot of ligaments, a lot of muscles crossing over, a lot of um, tendons of those muscles. Um, certainly ner- you have your neurovascular structures, your nerves, your veins, your arteries in those areas passing through. Um, and I mean, not talked about much, but a little bit of lymphatic system as well. So, and there within those arteries and everything, there are many different uh, branches out. There are many different anastomoses um, in that knee region that are pretty, pretty important. And a few rare kind of abnormalities in a couple percentage of people, such as the medial head of the gastroc crossing over one of the popliteal arteries um, so that when it's has overstress, over over flexes, can actually compress blood flow to that area. Now that's not in everybody, that's only a sub small subset of the population. Similar to how the vertebral artery in the higher parts of the cervical spine can have some genetic abnormalities or um, rather I'd say variances in its typical course through. Sometimes it can get blended with the dura mater, sometimes it can kind of skip going through um, that vertebral foramen for part of it as well. Sometimes they can kind of form a bit of a loop. Um, and I would be curious, of course, I don't know any research that, um, studies this at all, but in the parts of the population where there are more variances in the anatomy, let's say in the popliteal region with the arterial blood flow, is that a similar, or is there more likely to be an overlap for people in the vertebral region? And kind of anecdotally, it makes sense that, you know, and kind of seeing this on cadavers myself and then people who are far more experienced and seen thousands of cadavers, um, you know, often find that, you know, when there is, when there does tend to be a few abnormalities or rather wording it, just some variances from typical standard, um, most common specific human anatomy that it tends to come in clusters. So the abnormalities tend to come in clusters based on the person slash cadaver, um, you know, dead or alive that we're looking at and working with. So something to keep in mind that there always could be another explanation as well. Um, I came across this when I was working with a, a spinal high spinal cord injury patient, probably around level C6 for him. Uh, C6 on one side, C5 on the other. But he had some... Uh, a genetic abnormality that's common in about 20% of people where um, the axillary nerve can actually, um, part of its fibers 
can actually go and integrate the lung head, the tricep. So pretty neat um, that he was able to have some elbow extension with that where typically we wouldn't expect it. Now, was that truly coming off the axillary nerve or, you know, was there just a fragment of the radial nerve that still had that C5 innervation from branching coming down? Um, ultimately, I don't think we actually know that for him in specifics, but it's cool thinking about the variances. Anyways, let me stop rambling at least a little bit and let's get on to this muscle, this kind of not as commonly known muscle, but again, like we said, the popliteus. So what is the popliteus known for? You know, you, you got people going into the gym, they're doing their kind of leg day, they're doing their arm day, they're doing their back day, they're doing their chest day, and they're doing their push day, their pull day, however you want to describe it up. I get myself a good isolated, you know, every Wednesday, every Wednesday is a popliteus day, just popliteus. Lock, unlock, lock, unlock, boom, get that knee rotation robust. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. But anyways, without further ado, we got to talk structure so we can understand the function to get at these anatomical understanding. So the origin, the start of the popliteus, it's a knee joint muscle on the back surface. So it's going to start on the femur, on the lateral condyle. The lateral surface of the lateral condyle, so the way outside, the way outside of the femur. And it's also going to have some attachment to the lateral meniscus. This is important to remember because the lateral meniscus naturally has a little bit more movement and play than does the medial meniscus in a normal healthy person. And this makes sense because our lateral condyle we're going to talk about in a minute, the lateral condyle or femur is actually a little bit smaller than the medial condyle. The medial condyle is a bit larger, more robust. And because of this, because of this change with the rotation, kind of the congruent motion of the knee, it means that the lateral portion moves more for the bone. So it makes sense that the meniscus is compliant and congruent with that and allows for a little bit more rotation in those fibers of the meniscus. It's one re one of the reasons, because it being smaller, is the reason why it's harder to repair lateral meniscus compared to medial. And another reason why they may not go as well is because surgeons may attempt to repair lateral meniscus in the same way they're repairing a medial meniscus when really the lateral meniscus needs more movement to be allowed than the medial one would for normal anatomical function. So again, the origin lateral condyle of the femur on the posterior aspect, lateral surface, and the lateral meniscus. The fibers of the popliteus do attach to the lateral meniscus. So it's really, think about it starting at the whole lateral compartment of the femur. Now, the insertion. It's a knee, so it's gonna go from the femur to the tibia, right? So it inserts on the tibia, on the posterior surface, and it's gonna, kind of the naming of this is superior to the soleal line. And the soleal line is a broad kind of um, origin area of the soleus muscle, which is part one out of three parts of the tricep serrae, the other part of the medial and lateral heads of the gastroc that do cross the knee joint. The, the soleus does not cross the knee joint, so its origin is on the soleal line, which is kind of a, goes at a diagonal across from on the posterior aspect of the tibia on the higher portion of it, the superior portion. So again, we're crossing from the lateral femur and lateral meniscus 
down, kind of coming in a diagonal across towards the medial, the middle part and the medial part of the upper posterior surface of the tibia before it tapers down into the shaft of the bone and on the superior part of the shaft. Okay, popliteus, just like a lot of other posterior knee muscles with tricep surrey, is going to be innervated by the tibial nerve. It receives its nerve contribution from L4, L5, and S1. We want to think about the popliteus, talking about comparative anatomy, upper quarter to lower quarter, kind of similar to the anconius, just a little bit. It kind of helps unlock, lock the elbow a little bit, get some of that rotation that isn't attaching to the joint capsule. So the anconius does pull superiorly on the joint capsule to allow for a smooth elbow extension. Um, that may or may not occur with the um, popliteus on the capsule, but we know it affects the lateral meniscus and the lateral compartment and allows that spin to happen. And similar, the kind of nerve roots for the anconius off the radial nerve are slightly different than the triceps. Similar thing here, how we have the tibial nerve being the innervated segment for the popliteus, but it's slightly different nerve roots than the gastrox and the soleus. So again, innervation, popliteus, tibial nerve, L4, L5, S1. The action, what the heck does this muscle do that crosses from the lateral femur to the middle and, and medial tibia on the posterior surface? I'm gonna talk about what it kinda does just a little bit first. It sort of kind of flexes the knee weakly. So we have it going on the posterior aspect, attaching from the two bones, and if it's on the backside like a rope and the rope gets shorter, yeah, it's going to flex the knee a little bit. That makes sense. But we've got plenty of other stronger muscles. Cough, cough, hamstrings, cough, cough, even gastrox are stronger at flexing the leg. So it weakly flexes the leg. What else does it do? Well, it medially rotates the tibia. So internal rotation of the tibia of the unplanted limb. So when your tibia is not fixed in the ground, basically what it's saying is when it's a open kinetic chain instead of a closed kinetic chain, your popliteus works to unlock the knee. It works to take it out of a full extension and it immediately internally rotates the tibia. And so again, the unlocking of the knee is when it rotates the femur five degrees on a fixed tibia. So when the tibia is in um, or when the lower extremity in general is an open kinetic chain, it's going to rotate the tibia five degrees internally. Now, in the relative aspect of that, when you're weight-bearing, when you're on the ground, when you're performing sports, when you're walking with the leg on the ground or running or pushing off whatever, and you go to go from a full extension position to a little bit of flexion, the popliteus is going to help unlock the knee. It's going to rotate the femur five degrees approximately, so just a little bit to unlock it, on the tibia when the knee's extended in a closed kinetic chain. So again, closed chain, popliteus acts on the femur, the more proximal segment. Open chain, the popliteus acts on the tibia distal segment. That's how all open and closed chain mechanisms work. It's just kind of a little bit more specific detail for understanding the arthrokinematics of this joint that are influenced by this muscle. So what's this whole locking unlocking kind of thing going on, right? Well, you might think I'm here just horsing around, pulling your leg a little bit, and that's exactly what I'm doing.
I'm horsing around. Because as humans, we're trying to replicate something that horses do way better than us. They stand up and they sleep at the same damn time. How cool is that? I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy my comfy bed. I ain't complaining about that. It's nice to take a snooze once in a while. Just lay back let gravity kind of not worry about you too much. But horses kick ass at standing up and sleeping. Number one, because they got four legs. We don't got that. We're losers. But we do have the same kind of locking mechanism that they do. So we can, when our legs are straight, we have what's called the screw home mechanism. We talked before about the lateral compartment of the knee having more movement than the medial for meniscus for joint. That's a normal occurrence. So what happens is that as you flex and extend your knee, your lateral compartment, because it's smaller, will have more motion and rotate around the medial compartment, causing a rotational component to normal flexion and extension. This is the reason why I have a huge beef with people sitting in the gym doing that stupid, oh, I'm gonna strengthen my quads by doing a knee extension machine. If you are fixating your tibia, your distal tibia, on that machine requiring a huge movement while your entire rest of your body is locked in, you're going against that mechanism. You're not allowing that rotation to occur when it naturally needs to occur. Now, again, it's only a few degrees of rotation, but you're still kind of grinding against those surfaces, basically stirring up a little bit of early onset or predisposing you to early onset knee osteoarthritis. I'm not saying it will cause that, but it certainly is not going to help anything going on. So I'm not a fan of that for unhealthy knees at all. And I'm really not a fan of that for any knees in general, to be honest with you. It's not a part of appropriate loading for that joint. I'd rather you get a lot more closed chain exercises going on to really help with that, to work on the normal structure of the knee, how it typically responds in movement. But again, I'll get off my soapbox now. That's just something that drives me a little bit crazy. Was I guilty of that in the past when I was young and dumb in high school and everything? I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get it strong. Yeah, a little bit, um, but hey, hopefully the the worst days are behind me now for, for that and then for many other things in life as well. But again, we've got this, every time we extend the leg, we've got a external rotation of the tibia. So we're talking open chain now, every time, and you're just gonna reverse the message for closed chain. So every time that you go out and you extend the knee, the lateral compartment is going to extend, uh, the tibia is going to be able to move more, rotate more, extend a little bit more in the medial. And this causes an external rotation movement during the extension. That's normal. The reverse is true. Still talking about open kinetic chain. The tibia, as it flexes, what happens is that as, as we flex, same thing, the lateral compartment of the knee is gonna move just a little bit more. Just a little bit more into that flexion. And the medial is not gonna move as much. So what happens as a result of this is that we have the internal rotation of the tibia occurring with flexion. So flexion is more loaded through the medial compartment, internal rotation of the tibia, very little bit, and that's the unlocking, whereas the locking 
is the external rotation of the tibia. Yeah, let me just drop my phone there. Um, and that brings us to our sponsor of OtterBox phone cases. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I do have OtterBox. It works well. Um, so that again, as you extend the leg, that's a external rotation of the tibia, a normal anatomical arthrokinematic motion for the knee to move. So if you're just sitting down, whether you're driving, whether you're just in a chair, having breakfast, whatever it might be, at work, have the headphones in and like, you know, if you're enjoying getting a little bit distracted, whatever, straighten out the knee a little bit. And what you're gonna see is that if you look at, you strain your leg and you look at your knee, so your knee's bent, looking at your knee, and then you very, and you look down and see where your foot is, you very slowly, without moving anything else, extend your knee, your foot is gonna drift out a little bit more laterally because of the external rotation of the tibia that affects kind of where the ankle is in space. Then you take that in reverse, look at that position, flex the knee, and your foot's gonna end up underneath your knee again. So an external rotation of the tibia extended, internal rotation of the knee flex. I'm saying this so many times because if you're hearing this for the first time, it can get kind of confusing. We need some repetition in here. Again, repetition is the mother of all learning. So make sure you're repeating the right thing. So today was a little bit of a look into the popliteus, um, some of the knee anatomy, looking at variances in anatomy and normal anatomy and what that can mean, looking at some comparative anatomy of the upper quarter, lower quarter, um, and looking at the kind of attachments of these muscles to how they affect not only ligaments in that area, but structures like the meniscus and how, you know, it's kind of no coincidence in my mind how the medial meniscus and MCL are conjoined together, connected by fascia in the outside part where they, the medial compartment we know doesn't move as much, but in the lateral compartment where it allows for more motion, there is no direct attachment between the LCL lateral collateral ligament and lateral meniscus so that we can allow for more motion to occur there in that compartment. Now, Muscle Monday wouldn't be complete here without a clinical story of a little bit. So on Saturday, I told you all about how we were big on promoting recovery. We were working with uh, some people who are prepping for a marathon run, LA Marathoners. And kind of, it was awesome. We had a group of like three, 350, 400 runners. There were one, two, three, uh, five of us physical therapists from Evolution Physical Therapy. We set up tent, set up a couple tables, set up some turf, set up kind of some sweet recovery, um, mobility stuff. And we were basically just, you know, there to answer questions and to help people with whatever kind of ailments or things they have. We got a lot of new clients, a lot of new customers because of this. But it was more so just about interacting with the community, with the running community, and kind of bettering them. So I had one girl come up to me, and I say girl, woman. Um, she was, I'm guesstimating, late 20s. Um, this was going to be the second marathon she was running. She did the LA Marathon for the first time last year. And she was having some hamstring mobility stuff. Again, it was after a 20-mile run, so she's pretty in shape. She's done a marathon before. Um, and she was, you know, pretty athletic. So helping with hamstring mobility stuff. Uh, then it kind of came up in conversation that, hey, I'm having this, you know, not really pain, she would say, but just, and I've got, I've got some, some knee stuff once in a while. 
um, left knee and kind of uh, on exam palpating around, it was at the site of the anterior horn of the medial meniscus. So anterior horn, medial meniscus, we already know that the medial compartment doesn't move as much as the lateral compartment. And so I do some kind of meniscal tests on her test rotation and everything in it. It doesn't really reproduce it. And um, her symptoms aren't aren't extreme, a little bit of tenderness to palpation. And, you know, it's a very, very local focal spot. So I kind of, you know, I initially took her through some flexion extension of the knee, full range of motion and everything. But then with kind of this new pain in mind, brought her all the way into flexion, added some extra compression in there, overpressure. And at the very end of overpressure, she's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little twinge in that spot. Brought her full extension. Yeah, same thing, just even fainter, but just barely a little bit twinge, only with overpressure. So kind of like a, a warning sign. Not an injury to keep her out of sport or anything, but... um more of what we call an incident kind of like hey it's it's a warning sign from the body about hey we probably have to alter something change something it's a sign that we don't want to continue down the same pattern so primary meniscal tests were negative but kind of a sign extreme end range of motion we're reproducing some pain there at the medial meniscus and kind of taking a closer more detailed look at her knee um I wasn't convinced that her congruent rotation, the external rotation of the tibia on extension, but then especially a little bit of the internal rotation on flexion was there fully. It felt like the lateral compartment was moving more than the medial compartment, which grant you it should normally, but just a little bit less than what was normal than what I would expect for someone of her age of her athletic ability. So I worked on some mobilization with her. I worked on, you know, restoring in extension, restoring the external rotation of the tibia by some joint mobs, other than vice versa, working on the tibia, the medial compartment to internally rotate during flexion. And so we kind of had our initial test. Then we did some treatment. Then we did another test. We did the same kind of test again, over pressure, um, yeah, end range in those positions no longer bothered the knee. There was uh, nothing. It was still a little bit of tender to palpation lightly because, I mean, let's be honest, she just did a 20-mile run and I was already pushing on her knee, kind of pissing it off a little bit. But the actual motions that we put her in where it was previously bothering her, eh, a little bit, but not too bad, they were no longer bothering her. So was this truly a meniscal issue? I don't think so. Um, I think it was a issue of joint kinematics that may have caused some stress over time over, let's say, a 20-mile run um, and maybe further movement patterns previously that might have eventually caused a little bit of irritation if the bones aren't trying to move but the muscles are encouraging them to move beyond their means. What they're able to, would that loosen up eventually? Hard telling. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but that would incre put increased stress shear on that meniscus. Not necessarily leading to pathology, but just, hey, a little bit aware that we've got to be mindful of. Just because you've got a little bit of irritation doesn't mean pain means pathological changes or anything incredibly serious, but it's a warning sign in the body. It's a warning sign that, hey, I'm getting a little bit more stress in this area compared to being completely balanced. So it's a sign that our body says, hey, let's take a deeper look at this. Let's understand this. And so the pain is kind of like a a yeah, little gentle nagging warning signal again not that there's pathology but that hey i'm a little this one part of my body is a little sensitive to this movement right now 
let's do something about it. Let's change up the way I'm moving. Let's give me more options to move. So that's kind of the way that I often reconcile um, the idea of pain, looking at, um, you know, we have to understand the pathoanatomy, but also the psychosocial component to it too, and what, what role does pain and fear really play in our lives that does have a social and past emotional history involved with that as well that you absolutely can't totally separate. We have to take all factors into consideration. So, needless to say, haha, get it, knee, popliteal, popliteus. Anyways, enough of my crappy jokes, at least for the next 30 seconds. Um, we got her moving again. We got her moving well, just a little bit of joint molds to help kind of free her up, get some mobility, kind of give her some things that she can do on her own, because there's no reason why an active woman like her should have to be dependent on somebody. But what I, the conversation I have with a lot of my patients and a lot of people I meet in the community is, hey, Here's what I can do. Here's what you can do for you. And I encourage you to try and be your own advocate. Go get the care that you need. Try and troubleshoot yourself. And don't feel bad about not knowing all the answers. Try and do what you can. And if there's something and if there's something that you can treat yourself, awesome, perfect. We want to empower you. But if there's something that, hey, I've got more questions about or I'm not sure where to go after this, that's the perfect time to bring in a great physical therapist or another really good healthcare professional to help you in your journey to be a coach with you, or then further empower you to do more by yourself, to kind of keep improving not only the quality of your life for the immediate injury or illness or ailment or movement pattern, but also the quality of your life for your long-term trajectory of where you're going. And that's what we should all be doing, uh, no matter what our profession is, whether it's physical therapy, whether it's something in health or healing, or whether it's something otherwise, we should all be doing a profession and practicing in a very um, putting our ego aside to practice in a way that betters our community as a whole for all that we can be to make everybody just a little bit better in each interaction we have with them not to go save the world not to go cure everything but just every person that we interact with just make their experience just a little bit better because we worked with them all right, y'all. This is a fun Muscle Monday. Lock, unlock, horsing around, sleeping, standing up, and no, not just because we're daydreaming. Talking about the knee, man. Talking about Poplidius, the very underappreciated muscle, but essential for function and knee health. All right, y'all. Keep it real out there. Keep those muscles strong. And again, there's a little bit of rotation that's natural for the knee. There's some that's there's some that's way too much, but there's some that's natural. So don't immediately throw up the baby with the bathwater here. All right, y'all. Simply, not easy.